Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Jared Stein, the founding and managing partner of Monogram Capital. Prior to founding Monogram, Jared held investor roles at Bain Capital and Golden Gate Capital. Monogram was founded in 2014 with the mission of helping promising consumer and retail brands become category leaders. The partners have invested more than $1.3 billion of equity capital and pride themselves on their ability to provide flexible capital, deep domain knowledge, access to transformative industry relationships, and strategic and operational expertise to all investments. Jared, welcome to Subscribing to Wellness. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you both for having me. Excited to chat today. Yeah, excited to have you on. Both of us are huge fans of Monogram and the great portfolio that you've amassed over time. Would love to just get a little background on you, what you were doing before starting Monogram and kind of what got you interested in this consumer health and wellness focused investment space. Yeah, absolutely. So I spent my career in kind of large cap consumer investing through more of a traditional lens. So I'd started at Bing Capital and then two Bing Capital spin out funds uh, and really just had always actually on a personal level had an interest in the shifts toward health and wellness it actually started with my own diet. So just food is medicine, which now has become a mainstream throwaway uh, colloquialism. But back back then was, you know, really sort of off the beaten path. And I saw with allergies, with immunity, there were all these different end applications where food actually really helped me kind of get on a better personal path to health and wellness. And then you looked at the empirics, you know, over the last 10 years, and where customer um, purchasing habits were migrating to, and it all dovetailed with that. And I think for us, one of the biggest kind of inflection points in formulating the monogram strategy you know, was probably seven, eight years ago, starting to see that Costco and Walmart were the two biggest sellers of organic in the country. And so no longer was this a coastal phenomenon, but there was a much more mainstream customer that was seeking out you know, a healthier, better way to eat and to live. Super clear. I think that actually is is a really interesting way to put it. Like now we really think about Whole Foods and Erewhon as like the center for organics and, and kind of the future of health and wellness products. But it's interesting to think about the inflection being kind of the, the point at which Costco and, and some of these bigger retailers started actually like housing organic as a priority item on shelf. Can you talk also a little bit for our listeners just about Monogram in general? Like I know you guys are pretty check size flexible, just given the dynamic, how you've set up the firm strategy. But can you talk yeah. a little bit about like check size, typical round that you'll get involved in, what you're kind of looking for from like a company profile perspective in general? It, it's a great question. I mean, we started the firm really positioning ourselves as kind of generally first institutional capital into a lot of these businesses. And a lot of that was oriented around sort of the opportunity for professionalization and giving founders support at the end of the day. You know, so often a lot of these brands start with a great idea. They start with a market opportunity, but it's, you know, one or two people at the top kind of muscling it and learning as they go. And we think there's a ton of innovation and creativity that comes out of that. At some point in a company's life cycle, that transitions where, you know, the, that founder or those founders need additional support and they need some domain experts, you know, functionally to really help them amplify their reach. And so 
the outgrowth of that in terms of how that affects our strategy has been, you know, we've decided over the years that we should start from, you know, what's the opportunity set first? So how do we find the very best brands and kind of build a relationship where we can grow alongside them? And so what that's meant in practice is, you know, we've started those relationships earlier and we've carried on later. So to give you a sense, you know, there's a prebiotic soda, for example, called Olipop. You know, we got involved with them when they were only two million of sales, and we've grown our involvement, our partnership with them over the life cycle of of the business now as they've grown grown much larger and had a lot of success. On the other end of the spectrum, you know, we're partners with Oatly, we're partners in Chewy.com. So, you know, we will take kind of a somewhat of a stage agnostic view and then our best relationships with partner portfolio companies extend over the life of, you know, many rounds, many years, and many kind of new product innovations. That makes total sense. I would love to go deeper into that Olipop example. Can you talk a little bit about how you are growing with Olipop and what you guys do to provide, you know, assistance or support along their journey of growth? Yeah. And and I'll speak about it even more generally, but, you know, I think, with Olipop, those guys are such phenomenal marketers and such phenomenal formulators that, you know, thankfully for, for us, we've said, look, we're staying out of both those domains. You know, the only thing we could do is kind of get in your way at the end of the day. And so how do we help support you in other ways? For example, with them, it's been analyzing their co-packer base and figuring out, you know, both optimization in terms of volumes, but also obviously margin and where they can evolve in terms of just even extending future flavors and future formats, uh, hot teaser for uh, for what's to come from Olipop. But you know, if you step back across our portfolio of, of brands, a lot of our support for others can touch marketing and it touches recruiting. So trying to find you know a best in class CMO or a best in class COO, let's say, to really support the founders and kind of free up their time to think about you know their brand vision. And then maybe underlying mission, even of what they're building. Some of it touches systems. So just how do you operate, you know, extremely leanly with great KPI dashboards and kind of the process of building the business strategically and, and analytically. And then, you know, a lot of times we've had the good fortune, I'd say in probably over half of our investments of bringing a strategic or a retailer or both in alongside us as a co-investor. And that enables either guaranteed distribution right out of the gates that can help anchor a national footprint and or it, it enables, you know, having kind of a potential value-added partner and a future buyer down the line that's sort of growing with you as well, which has been a, a great, great tool for us. Yeah, we know Monogram's reputation of being just a true value-add investor. Like you guys are beyond just that check at the end of the day, and you're really bringing so much, which I think you articulated so eloquently. Can we dig a little bit deeper into the Monogram portfolio itself and kind of talk a little bit about investments that you're excited about or areas that you think are ripe for innovation or things that you guys are looking into now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that's been really exciting is just watching a lot of the secular themes, for example, in food and beverage, then have spillover to these other areas. And I've been shocked at, you know, what are the sectors that sometimes are slower to adopt these same trends and kind of meet the consumer where they are or where they want to be? So a great example of that in our portfolio, which is 
a business we uh, partnered with earlier this year is Genexa. That's the first clean OTC medicine brand in the market. And so their, you know, medicine is what you're putting into your system in the moment of peril when it's under under extreme duress, you know, that should be the cleanest possible formulation of anything, even more than kind of the, the snack food that you crave in a, in a given afternoon. And yet that category has so many toxins and chemicals and, you know, the, the stuff that is in Freon, for example, you know, is in, in Tylenol, uh, which I personally have never, never known. And so, you know, having a, a truly clean alternative that keeps the same efficaciousness for us was just a massive market opportunity. It came with a bunch of really value-added folks, like the former chairman of J&J's Pharma Board, as well. And so we think that one's a massive opportunity. You know, another concept that we're really excited about that's kind of back to this theme of meeting the customer where they where they want to be and providing a solution for them is Foxtrot which is an omni-channel convenience concept. So we've now been partnered with the brand across you know, multiple rounds uh, and hopefully again soon. And you know, they are really elevating the curation of the convenience channel. So you know, if you look at traditional alternatives, they haven't really evolved with the times. Foxtrot has kind of good, better, best. You know, they've still got Oreos, but then they've got an organic version for, for folks that you know, want to indulge, but responsibly, and then a bunch of different permutations off of that. And and then they offer delivery kind of paired with that retail experience. And that to us is where the consumer wants kind of all in convenience and with the stuff that they're really excited to buy. So th- those are two recent examples that we're really excited about. And then, you know, happy to get into other sectors that we've been spending time in of late as well. Yeah. I love, uh, I'm very personally excited about Genexa. I think like the consumer journey that we used to go on when we were entering like CVS or Dwayne Reed for that kind of purchase was very price elasticity driven. I thought for a while that CVS and Dwayne Reed were doing a decent job of private label in terms of kind of like winning on price point. But then you start to realize that even those private label products are filled with kind of questionable ingredients. And so Genexa has this incredible opportunity to really educate consumers on like what high quality clean ingredient available medicine looks like. So I think that one's really exciting. And I just wanted to ask you one more on kind of the Foxtrot piece. So I'd say a lot of firms in kind of the consumer space that you invest in are really focused on like specifically just brands that are either like consumable in the body or on the body. But you guys have have been involved with Dig, you've been involved with Planet Fitness, and you've been involved with Foxtrot. Like, what are you looking for when you look at an omni-channel business as such or a retail business compared to kind of more of a consumable everyday brand that I could put in or on my body? Yeah, it's a phenomenal question. So, you know, a lot of my experience prior to Monogram really oriented around four-wall-based businesses. And so we do kind of have a, a broader aperture than a lot of the other funds you'll see in our space. And part of that is just, again, a view of where's the customer looking for a solution? So... For example, with within fitness for Planet Fitness, you know they are the low cost, high value kind of gym provider out there. And especially now, actually, as you think of at home fitness, a lot of people still want to pair their Peloton membership with an affordable membership. You know that's not two hundred dollars a month; it's ten dollars a month that they can go into the gym and kind of get you know a different experience and a broader uh, set of of modality than just the bike at home. 
for us, you know, everything starts with what is the consumer solving for? And then of course, you know, the empirics behind that have to work. And, you know, what, what we generally look for, whether it's a Foxtrot, a dig or, or planet, you know, is understanding what the margins are at the store level and the paybacks on, on those stores. So how quickly can you open a store? Does it ramp start generating profitability and kind of you pay yourself back. And if you can do that, you know, in a sub two year, sub three year fashion, you've got a really sustainable business model. And then more and more, and say the last piece of this is, you know, we are looking for for opportunities like Foxtrot, where it's retail with still an e-com DTC component that allows the consumer to kind of shop and experience the concept across both channels in the most convenient format possible for them. Yep, that, that's a super interesting perspective. And I think just before we go to kind of a rapid fire section, I want to I want to shift to kind of a, a bit more topic related to culture. I, I listened to a few of the VCs that I had on here and realized that I had neglected at times to ask questions related to culture and like what it means to kind of work at Monogram and kind of the cultural principles that you embed within the firm that I've heard from Ryan and Lusa and Jordan about. But could you just talk a little bit about Monogram? What makes it a special place to work and what's kind of the, the most important piece from a cultural perspective that allow it to thrive in the space? That's a great question. And one, honestly, very genuinely, we think about a lot, you know, before kind of starting this, one of the things I realized was private equity firms spend so much time preaching culture to their businesses but then never really look internally and take stock of their own culture and kind of the incentive system that they're creating. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about that. I'd say if there's one thing that I'm most proud of, and believe me, we absolutely love and live our brands, it's actually the the people internally because that allows us to kind of create those partnerships. And so when you start from that as your as your overall priority and kind of most important criteria. Yeah, I think that enables you to build your own business in a different way. And so for us, you know, what are those cultural touch points? It's really empowering folks. So giving them, you know, as much responsibility as they're comfortable taking on. And you'll see, you know, a lot of our even kind of younger folks are out there starting relationships with founders that may not necessarily lead to an investment now or in the near term or really ever but cultivating an ecosystem of support. You know, we're so fortunate to see so many examples of different brands and what's working and how they've attacked different problems that, you know, I think finding and cultivating that curiosity within within our firm so that people are constantly building out that knowledge set and then also the altruism to say like, well, we want to help brands, even if they're not in the monogram portfolio, because we know how hard that founder entrepreneur journey is. So let's, you know, make ourselves available to try and be a resource and be a sounding board and also maybe step out of the way and just connect founder to founder. Those are the hallmarks of the culture we're trying to build. Obviously, it's never perfect, but, you know, I think part of that just starts with selection and we've found people that are really, really sharp and get it analytically but also have that softer side in terms of just valuing founders and loving what we do every single day in high growth consumer brands. That makes total sense. We'd love to shift gears into our favorite section of the podcast, which we call rapid fire. We're going to throw some random questions your way and just ask whatever kind of comes to mind. Don't worry. There's nothing too crazy. <laughs> Let's do it. Guilty pleasure. 
Oof. Uh, I would say chocolate chip cookies. Not so health and wellness oriented, but I used to I used to have like my mom used to make those for me every day from like first to third grade. Every single night. It was my favorite thing. Toll House and then we evolved to like homemade. It was it was well, a good solution. Is she um, local and or does she uh, believe in omni channel commerce? <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> favorite snack. Ooh, that would be um on a good day, apple. On a, on a less good day, but let's be honest, not so terrible, pretzels and hummus. Favorite blue devil of all time? Oof. Huh, that's tough. Do you go with Mike Krzyzewski, who's kind of the godfather, or do you go with a player? I'd say I'd say Mike Krzyzewski, just because he's like such a an example of leadership. And to win and build teams over that long, like talk about just a special human being. Yeah. He's Big the Blue Devil fan over here. So I, I get you. I love Kyrie Irving as well. I find him super like eloquent when he speaks, similar kind of like principles and intangibles that Coach K definitely preaches. So normally I have to hide my Duke uh, affiliation. So this is a refreshing room to walk into. Of course. Favorite go to LA destination? Ooh, that's tough. I've always loved Justa in Venice. They have like, Everything is done homemade. You know, they, they kind of brine their own meats like or brine their own fish, like everything, soup to nuts. It's almost like an old school deli in that regard. And the quality has always been been great. So uh, that's my unsponsored plug. And aisle of the grocery store that you think is ripe for innovation. That's a great one. I, I still think soups specifically. So a lot of the, the center aisles, I think, are going to have a moment and they've just been slower to kind of evolve because they haven't had that same innovation push. You know, you've even started to see it in cereal with a lot of the DTC guys and some of them are, are making uh, forward progress pushing into retail. I think you'll see the same arc, you know, with, with soup uh, coming up uh, in the next little bit here. Yeah. yeah, we're seeing we're seeing a couple like healthy ramens that are emerging, yeah. which is like, I think the start of the, trying to bite on the like canned progressive soup movement, but the healthy ramens are super interesting. Yeah. Like the cup of soup kind of thing. Yeah. There's like the plant-based one and there's nudie. And I think bone broth has been pretty healthy for a little while now with like a few movers with kettle and fire, but I also have been telling this company proper good that I really like. Um, GSB guy too. Yes. GSB guy. So we'll see where, yeah, I agree. I think it's an interesting category that I, I think the income or I think the incumbents have been kind of challenged in the way that they've innovated over the last few years. Awesome. Last question we have for you, we ask all our guests about this is just what it means to them to subscribe to wellness. So if you could just fill our listeners in on kind of what you do on a regular basis to continue living a healthy life while managing the demands that come with uh, managing monogram capital. Yeah, uh, it's a tough one. And, you know, it's one that honestly is what keeps me sane is those daily wellness habits. So to me, it's starting small and it's kind of filling, you know, little individual goals, whether that's in your exercise regime or what you need, and then building on that and slowly they get habitualized. So for me, you know, every other day is a run, you know, every day is something, every other day outside of that is, you know, some other kind of fitness modality that tends to be, uh, even though I'm undersized, uh, you know, body, body, uh, strength oriented. And then with, with food, you know, I think it's 
kind of trying to find, you know, stuff that you like that, you know, is healthy and that keeps you energized throughout, throughout the day. And then at night, you know, I've experimented with a ton of things just to make sure you get a good night's sleep. But, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of supplements out there. And if, if folks are of interest, there's a guy who I, I really think is doing some interesting stuff called Eric Huberman that works with the Stanford Neurology Lab. And then another guy, Peter Atia, who has a bunch of kind of sleep recommendations. And that's been an area as a, as a reformed or trying to be reformed insomniac you know, that I've focused a lot on and found when I'm in a good rhythm can really help your performance during the day. Yeah, 100%. Sleep is an area that, that Rachel and I discuss pretty often. So we also are following that space in terms of innovation. Awesome having you, Jared. It's a pleasure. We are huge fans of Monogram and are excited to continue watching what's to come for the firm. Thanks for joining us today. We, we appreciate the time. No, I love what you guys are doing and likewise, just appreciate the chance to talk. Awesome. Have a great so much, one. Jared. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of the week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.